This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Three things happened the first week in November. Laura Danker wore a sweater to school for the first time. Mr. Benedict's eyes almost popped out of his head. Actually, I didn't notice Mr. Benedict's eyes, but Nancy told me. Freggy the Lobster noticed too. He asked me, how come you don't look like that in a sweater, Margaret? Then he laughed very hard and slapped his leg. Very funny, I thought. I wore sweaters every day since I had so many of them, all made expressly for me by grandma. Even if I stuffed my bra with socks, I still wouldn't look like Laura Danker. I wondered if it was true that she went behind the A&P with Evan and Moose. Why would she do a stupid thing like that? Hello, everybody, well, we and welcome to Buy the Book. I am Lee Tree Lin, and joining me, as always, is my fellow longtime reader, someone who read since she was a girl, very crucial in today's show, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello. So today we are going to be talking about a writer who is very often associated with that particular childhood adolescent stage, particularly for girls. Um, we're discussing Judy Bloom because her birthday is on the 12th of February. She is turning 84, actually, if you can believe it. So we thought it would be a good time to, to celebrate her, really. And what an author to celebrate, right? I mean, I, I love our bibliography episodes as a whole, but I'm very excited that we're doing Judy Bloom because um, I feel like compared to a lot of authors, not just her books, but what she stands for is so, so relevant. I mean, we still talk about what books are appropriate, censoring books, banning books in, in the US right now. Actually, that's a huge conversation that's going on. And Judy Bloom is famously known as one of the most controversial authors of all time, uh, one of the most banned authors of all time. And when you look at her books, sometimes it can be really confusing why, especially if you were a child, especially if you grew up reading some of her works and they ended up being so formative for some of the, the I suppose, the ideals or the ways that you learn to think about growing up. I'm starting to sound very invested in this probably because some of her books really were that for me. But then realizing that a lot of adults actually thought that the books did more harm than good is one of those, um, I don't know, one of those cold washes of reality that I find quite difficult to reconcile. Yeah, I have a lot to say on this subject actually because of um, what I think this sort of represents, not just in terms of censorship, but also in terms of the assumptions that people make about what children like to read or what they should be reading. But we can get into that in a bit. Just to say, we usually start off with a look at their lives. And Judy Bloom has had a really interesting life. Um, we've also spoken before about the occasional struggles we have um, on bibliography episodes of talking about people who are still living. But in this case, I think that's particularly relevant because of, like you said, the things that she stands for and she's continuing to fight for. But she is a native of New Jersey, which is a place that features quite prominently in a number of the books. Uh, she was born and raised in Elizabeth. She was trained or rather educated uh, to be an educator as a teacher in New York University, but she actually never taught. Um, she instead married young, had two children by the age of 25 and then started writing after that. But I did also think that we could look and talk about her childhood because it was one that was, I wouldn't say marred, but perhaps marked um, by issues of tragedy, uh, by stuff that gave her anxiety. These are things that she has spoken about elsewhere. 
Yes. So um, Judy Bloom had in some ways a very regular childhood, but also in other ways, I think um, things that ended up informing her idea of childhood and the way she wrote about it. The fact that just because you were young doesn't mean that these things don't leave a mark. Just because you're young, these things don't um, impact you and, and cause you a great amount of struggle. Um, so she had to deal with the fact that her brother had uh, kidney disease when he was young. And so they had to move away from her father to get him treatment and for him to recover uh, quite significantly. There were also three plane crashes in her hometown. And this was something that she ended up writing about later. But also her father, who was a dentist, was involved in identifying uh, remains. So these are all things that she's talked about. She's also talked about how she repressed these memories and didn't, um, didn't acknowledge them or even necessarily talk about them to anyone until she started writing a novel. Um, and I find all of these really interesting for a writer who otherwise tends to be talked about in, in more glowing terms, in terms of childhood memories. But that's the important thing, right? Because it's not... One thing you would not say about Judy Bloom is that her books feature idealised characters. I think that's very important. Um, nor do they go through ideal lives. It's not all smooth sailing and then... And then everybody just ends up living happily by the forest in a cottage. You know, it's not... Actually, most of her books end with just the sort of melancholic trailing off of something, which which sounds like life. Uh, so that's what I was going to say, because they are... Uh, she's talk, she, She's spoken before about uh, really enjoying writing about people on the cusp. That was the word she used, that she likes, um, she likes that age, that particular... Uh, little range that exists when you're no longer a child to quote the great Britney Spears you are not a girl but you're not yet a woman <laughs> and, oh god um, I did not think we'd get there but but I'm there for it it has to happen but no I mean in all seriousness she spoke she's spoken about how she likes writing about that range and I think that that's why um, I, I don't know if we're getting ahead of, of ourselves to start talking about the endings of books before we even talk about the books uh, but a lot of the books end in exactly what you describe and I think that's natural because her characters are still growing up. They're still evolving. They're still changing. What she's describing is often a chapter in their lives uh, as they're awaiting their first period, uh, as they're negotiating their first um, their first real conflict with classmates. You know, it's all these different sorts of things. Um, and I do think that talking about the childhood trauma is actually quite important in understanding perhaps why she thinks about children in the way that she does. I wanted to add also that even in her adult life, um, she's she's been married three times um, and she is still with her third husband. But again, we have to remember that this happened in the 50s to the 70s, not a time when going through divorce or, mm. or choosing, uh, you know, choosing to end a marriage was something that was easy. And again, um, I think a lot of this does inform the way she writes an acknowledgement that um, the expectations that society has towards women, towards girls, isn't necessarily the easiest to live up with, live up to, or to live through. Um, and again, without guessing too much what her motivations are, I think that's something that's always there in her books. You mentioned how she's fascinated with with that that period in in girls' lives, and I think it's got to do with the fact that it's simultaneously a time when you're opening up to the world, but at the same time, you're struggling with so much that's often viewed as personal. You can't talk about puberty. You can't talk about sexuality. It's not even today. It's not something that's easily brought up or had or that you have discussions about. And I think she understood 
the importance of creating that space. I also wanted to address uh, the fact that she came of age in the 50s. And uh, this is something, again, that she has talked about, that um, in, uh, in fact, she described it generationally. She said, you know, um, this was a time post-war when people were not necessarily willing to go too deep into uh, the emotional stuff, not even with your best friends, uh, because everybody just wanted things to be nice. Everybody just wanted to get along. It was after the war, you just want to settle in. And she spoke about how uh, for her as a teenager in the 50s, in fact, that's one of the things that she said. Uh, She thought that her teenage self was boring and it's why she's not interested in writing about teenagers. But I do think um, understanding the 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 decades in Judy Bloom's life matter because uh, so she grew up in the fifties not particularly liking being a teenager then uh, feeling quite physically out of place she said she was very very skinny when everybody was very buxom in fifties um, and then she got married young and then actually when we talk about Judy Bloom the bulk of her work that we're discussing happened in the seventies and eighties I mean she's still writing now but it's slowed down a lot and the books that I think you and I are very likely to bring up actually were all written in a particular period and juncture of her life yes and is it time yet that I can bring up are you there it's me Margaret can I is is it too early I know I think now is the time because she um she started off with the one in the middle is The Green Kangaroo, if I'm getting yes. that right. Uh, that was yes. her first book. But the book that she's perhaps known for is... It's Margaret. Um, so Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is the one that shot her to her best-selling stardom and then I think paved the way for the kind of controversy that would really continue to dog her for most of her for her career. And certainly for me, it's one of the books that I associate with, with her the most. Um, and I think it does a few of those things, right? It, Straight off, it's about a girl. She's 11. Um, She's going through both family issues in terms of um, them not quite understanding how she feels in the world, but also issues of religion and faith. And something that I think a lot of kids go through, this idea of, well, do I believe what my parents believe? Do I understand what religion might mean? Um, And simultaneously with that, also her changing body. And I started reading, I read Margaret when I was about 12. And I think why it's so special to me is because it actually, it sort of, it sort of lines up exactly with those issues. The kind of weird competition you might feel with a friend because someone's gotten her period or someone's body is developed and you start examining your own body. Um, But again, as I said earlier, something that very few people or very few adults talk to you about. I want a soapbox uh, because I, I think that Margaret and a number of the other books that we're going to discuss actually um, hit at the very heart of why cuspy kids, I don't know what to call adolescents, um, you know, enjoy reading Judy Bloom, And it's because there is an acknowledgement of curiosity. So I, I think that that is one of my central issues, aside from almost everything to do with censorship and book banning. Uh, but one of my central issues with the attacks on Judy Bloom in particular circle around the fact that, for example, uh, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, one of the issues that people focus on is not even the religious stuff, although that, of course, has bothered folks. Uh, but the other thing is that because it deals frankly and um, continuously actually throughout the book with menstruation. And that is one of the things that people described as, you know, not being proper. And I do wonder what people mean when they say that, because um, are you saying that, 
are you saying that children don't think about this or that you don't want them to think about it? And those are very, very different things. Because when you talk about that deep sense of relatability that you feel to the book, um, to the book at a particular point in your life, a lot of it comes from, ah, finally somebody is acknowledging this thing that I'm curious about, but that I don't necessarily perhaps even have the words to ask about as yet. No, it's exactly that. Um, there's a particular sequence in the book. I, I haven't read it in a very long time, but it stuck with me for decades because it involves a girl lying about something to do with her body changing, uh, just as a way to keep up with her friends because everyone else is going through this and so on. And that stuck with me because I remember um, going through something like that with a group of my friends exactly at that age. And reading that in the book made me realize that well, me and my friends are not weird. We're not going through something incredibly isolating. So I think there's such a case to be made for books like this. Um, giving girls a sense of community and giving and normalizing experiences for girls, um, which is something that even today, very few books do. And quite ironically, I actually came across Margaret in my school library, but I don't think that my school knew what the book was about because I don't think they would have put it there if they did. That's how we win, Sharmila. This exactly. is how we win. Um, we're talking today about Judy Bloom in our monthly bibliography episode uh, in conjunction with the fact that she's turning 84 on February 12th. And uh, we'd like to hear from you. Did you read Judy Bloom growing up? Have you introduced Judy Bloom to your children, perhaps? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, or even write to us actually at bythebookatbfm.my. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. Those who want to censor are sending such a negative message to kids. You know, they're sending a message that books are dangerous. There's something in this book we don't want you to know. We don't want to talk about what's in this book. We don't want you to ask us questions about what's in this book. We don't want you to know about it. And that is so sad. In my house, reading was something to be cherished. I mean, my parents were both readers. They knew how important it was to read. And they never would have said to me, we don't want you to read this book, because it was a good thing to read. So I just think it's, it's sad. And as always, children are the real losers when books are censored. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila. It is our monthly bibliography episode. And for the month of February, we are focused on Judy Bloom because her birthday, her 84th, is coming up on February 12th. So one of our very rare biblios in which we're actually discussing an author who is still living, working and speaking, particularly on the issue of book banning and censorship, which is, I thought, uh, something we could focus on in this second half of the show because that has really dominated a lot of public discourse around Judy Bloom. Um, I wanted to mention along with, so just to give a sense, right, if you've never read her or you're not familiar with her, um, we talked about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret earlier, which uh, talks about things like, like menstruation, like adolescence. Um, but then the other book that is also often the target of book banning is Forever, mm. uh, which is a book that acknowledges the existence of sex um, in the lives of teenagers, but acknowledges it in a very, very deeply responsible way. And I wanted to bring up why she wrote it. So it's dedicated to her daughter. Uh, and it was written because her daughter specifically came up to her and asked her, 
do books exist in which two nice kids, I think I'm quoting this correctly, two nice kids do it and live because all the other books that she read. And don't die. And don't die. Yeah, Yeah, because all the other books, I think, you know, end in car crashes and and death and pregnancy. And I mean, look, this is even more, this is even harder to discuss growing up in Asia, right? Um, The idea of teenagers not just having sexual feelings, but actually having sex and what that might mean. Um, and I think the the best thing about Forever is that it actually makes them very regular, normal kids who, like like you said, don't end up being mortally punished because they <laughs> had sex. And it I can't overstate what a big deal that is. It's also a big deal that the book, um, it's named Forever and it's named Forever for a very particular reason. It questions that notion of well, just because you had sex with someone, do you end up with them forever? Is that a promise that you've made? Um, so there's so much there that the book unpacks. Um, it's a, it's set a little bit older than Margaret. And I think that's significant because while I think Bloom finds teenagers perhaps boring, it is actually an aspect of teenage life that she handles so, so well. Um, I actually like Forever more than Margaret, I think, because it deals with um, perhaps questions that, other young adult books weren't doing very well. I mean, especially when I I got to reading Forever, you either had the Sweet Valley type books or you had your romance books. This sat in a very different space. I mean, I don't like your tone talking about Sweet Valley, but that's okay. It wasn't a bag. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, perhaps that's another show. Uh, but I, I do think that the other part of it, um, and before we get to, to the book banning calls proper, uh, the other thing I think, and the reason why why Judy Bloom has been such a target over the years is because of the language. So this is something that we do in all of these episodes, right? We, we talk about the language that these authors employ. And in the case of Bloom, I think it's especially relevant because the language is simple. I, I think I would describe it as perhaps wry, um, um, honest and heartfelt, and also just very... Um, very personal and personable. And it's because of those things, I think, that people feel like she's talking teenagers or children into things rather than relating to them. And then the very fervent relationships that people have with her books also is cause for, and I'm using, you know, air quotes, prodigiously concern. I, you know, Margaret is essentially Margaret speaking to us. And, and most of you know, her books are first person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's actually one of the things that not just makes it so relatable, but it sounds like a teenager speaking. It doesn't sound like an adult taking on the voice of a young person. And and you're right that it's actually the 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 simplicity and the deceptive plainness of the way she writes that makes it so relatable, but at the same time does make it seem quote-unquote, dangerous. Um, I love the way she writes. I, I think it's it's one of those things that can seem like it's easy to do, but it really isn't. And also the subtle differences between how, say, the character in Forever speaks and how Margaret speaks. It takes a lot of skill to be able to sound like so many different types of girls who are going through such personal things. And uh, boys. And boys. Yes, yeah. that's true. Okay. I, I'm I'm biased because I never read the boys <laughs> ones. Um, but yes, and and I think I think people don't give her enough credit for what a good writer she is. Yeah. Uh and it takes a certain kind of skill actually to handle these sorts of issues repeatedly, mind you, over the course of her career and never come off as a, as an after school special, which 
when you're talking about things like uh, safe sex, when you're talking about things like bullying, as uh, is the case with Blubber, uh, when you're talking about these sorts of things, it's very easy for it to get um, all tied neatly together for villains to to die or to suffer the consequences for, you know, just these sorts of approaches to be taken and also for the tone to become very moralistic. And I think that, um, again, going back to why perhaps she is perceived as a dangerous, influential writer, she's influential, but not in the way people seem to think she is, um, is it comes down to that lack of after-school specialness. I think one of the main criticisms has always been, why do you focus so much on the um, on physical and sexual maturing as opposed to moral maturity? And I would argue that sh- there is actually a sufficient focus on moral maturity um, and an understanding also that you get to those sorts of themes, the second themes, moral, emotional, so on and so forth, um, by addressing head-on the questions or the issues that adolescents are most interested in. I, I don't know, you know, when I was uh, when I was 12, I wasn't necessarily grappling with what is the meaning of life. Perhaps I was behind the times, but, you know, I wasn't necessarily, you know, moralizing to myself in a corner about what makes me a good person. Instead, you know, you, you worry about all the things that you worry about, you know, your yourself when what are you going to what you're going to be like when you grow up your relationships with your friends i think that her idea of moral maturity and and this is probably why so many educators and librarians and so on have a problem with it i think her idea of moral maturity is about placing the responsibility and choice in the hand of the person um, self determination is a big thing in her books and and i think for many people, it's scary when you think about that from the point of view of a child or the point of view of a teenager. Um, and even that very idea of morals is so subjective. And I don't think that Judy Bloom is necessarily interested in lecturing to her readers. I think she's interested in telling readers that you have the right to think these things through yourself, that your thoughts and your emotions are valid. And I at least would argue that that's something more important to talk to young people about than to lecture them or to to impose our sense of right and wrong onto them willy-nilly. So she occupies a very weird space in the cultural pantheon because, uh, as we have alluded to, she's deeply loved by generations of readers and, in fact, educators, librarians, and so on. She is also deeply loathed and feared by um, those same groups of people who perhaps have different politics. And, and that's really what it comes down to because while she is a heavily awarded writer, she's someone who's been given all sorts of awards and accolades throughout her career. She has also been, uh, as we've both been saying throughout our episode, one of the most often brought up authors when it comes to conversations about book banning. Every year, somewhere in the United States, there will be an attempt to ban a Judy Bloom book. Yes, and I... I don't know. I'm so glad that someone like Judy Bloom hasn't just persevered and continued writing, but in fact has actually lent her voice to this cause. She's a very strong advocate of... Um, of What's the opposite of censorship? Of freedom of speech. Yes. Well, yes, freedom of speech when it comes to books. She's also pointed out that, you know, when she first wrote books like Margaret and so on, that they were in fact much less controversial than they eventually became in the 80s after the Reagan administration and as a, as a sort of increased conservatism started happening in the States. Um, and so I think 
like right now there's a conversation about book banning happening in the in the US and she's spoken up about that as well and and I think it's significant that that we have authors like this and I think it's particularly important that we have authors like this with books for young people because it's one thing to say it's one thing to have conversations that are ideologically driven but it's another thing to sort of say that experiences that young people might go through need policing in terms of how we talk about them because I think that that's a conversation that people need to be able to have and not hidden away. Yes, uh, I I agree with that. I think um, the fact that she's continued to talk about it is important. I think the fact that she has always, um, that she's She's sung the same tune, really, for decades now. She's never wavered on this, um, nor has she kind of gone out there and said, yeah, you know what? I did this just to make everybody mad. Um, instead, she has consistently said, these are based on my experiences. These are based on the chil- um, the questions that children have asked me, based on the things that I've always thought that they would want to know. And I'm just acknowledging really, that this is stuff that they're curious about, that this is stuff that they've asked, because I know that I went through it. And I also think you should not underestimate um, the amount of readers that Judy Bloom has actually created. A lot of people have been introduced to reading, reading consistently, um, and also the kind of empathy building that we always talk about through the works of Judy Bloom, And so when we talk about banning her books, right, not we here in this country, but still, when we talk about banning her books, um, what are we actually saying in terms of whether we want young people to read or not? She's also shaped a whole generation of young adult books that take on difficult topics, um, that moved away from just adventure stories and, and you know, fun with friends and actually grappled with everything from grief to divorce to um, diversity and religion and and how your body matures. I mean, I think she set the tone for a lot of the amazing young adult writing and children's writing that we now get. Because if we didn't have a Judy Bloom, I don't think that that space would have opened up. We've been talking today about Judy Bloom uh, in conjunction with, well, why not? But, you know, in conjunction with the fact that she is turning 84 on February 12th. And we'd like to hear from you. Did you read Judy Bloom growing up? Have you introduced Judy Bloom to your kids? You can let us know by WhatsApping 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. <laughs> Footnotes. Uh, so usually in this section we talk about adaptations. I'm going to say upfront that while I'm all in on the uh, upcoming adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I haven't actually seen the other adaptations that have been made of Judy Bloom's work. Neither have I. The only one I've actually even properly heard of was um, Tiger Eyes, and I never watched it. Um, yeah, but I'm. I'm cautiously excited about uh, Margaret that's coming out. It looks on paper like it could it could do well. I'm also quite taken that 40 years after the book came out, it still feels so relevant. 
I am taken by the fact that she held on to the property. Uh, because for something that is so well known that, uh, as we've been saying ad nauseum, you know, has been introduced over and over again to new generations of readers, this kind of multi-generational intellectual property is exactly what studios <laughs> are looking to capitalise on and sell Margaret journals or whatever. Um, and so the fact that she held on to it for, for years and years, um, looking for the right setup, wanting to hear that it was going to be made by the right people, you know, with an approach that she trusted, I think is is admirable, honestly. I think the other reason why us here in Malaysia probably didn't get a chance to watch many of her adaptations is that they've generally tended to be TV adaptations. So mm. Forever was made into a TV movie. Um, the Fudge books were made into a TV show, which I didn't even know existed. Um, so I'm quite excited given that this is my first Judy Bloom adaptation. I was wondering though, um, whether you thought something like Forever could actually do pretty well revived today. Yes and no. I mean, has 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 something like Riverdale just killed Oh no. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that it's no longer seen as um revolutionary. We've had lots of movies about teen pregnancies, you know, things like that. Juno has been made. So because of all these things, I don't know whether um a movie, even one based on as sensitive and sweet a story as Forever, would necessarily sell in the way that you would think it would? I feel like it's because they're very earnest. And I hate to say this, but overall, teen entertainment has lost that earnestness a little mm. bit. I can see it working in the children's space a little bit more, given that we had stuff like Babysitter's Club come out, which was great. Um, and I feel like that's why maybe the adaptation of a Margaret feels still fresh and revolutionary, where else something like forever feels like we've seen multiple versions of this happen. Um, I wanted to briefly bring up the fact that uh, there is a song actually titled Judy Bloom by Amanda Palmer. And uh, I mean, I can't say... Is it her full artist name? Is it what she goes by? I cannot say that on radio. Uh, suffice to say, it's AFP. So, um, you know, no prizes for guessing what the F might stand for. But um, she wrote a song called Judy Bloom, which essentially extols the very virtues. Perhaps it is It is um, a, an, a distillation of our entire episode. <laughs> I think so. If, if you don't have the patience to listen to a 20-minute podcast, listen to a three-minute song. Yeah, uh, but it basically talks about the role that Judy Bloom played in her life growing up, um, addressing the issues that we've been talking about, you know, all these different things, whether it's... Um, divorce or how you might feel your, you know, all these difficult feelings that are associated with a transitional time in your life. And I think speaks to really the kind of importance um, of having books like these to relate to at a very particular period in your life. The fact that 30 years later, it's I still remember reading the book and, and how it made me feel. The fact that an Amanda Palmer would write a song about it, I think it's all telling of how important books like these are. Basically, this has reminded me not just to read Judy Bloom, but also to uh, buy books for the children in my life. And I mean, that's a general recommendation, but I think that you could do worse than starting with Judy Bloom, especially for cusp kids, uh, all those ones on that that particular age bracket. Uh, we've been talking today about the life and times and to a degree, the adaptations uh, of Judy Bloom's work. Again, let us know. 
basically, do you read Judy Bloom? Did you read Judy Bloom? And uh, have you introduced her to your kids? WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buy the book at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.